sound. The beginning. What do you hear when you see this? These figures at the bottom left. Is this a murmuring crowd or a group waiting quietly for something to happen? What about this black monolith? A dead, empty space or an instrument? A piano, maybe? If it's a piano, what is it playing? Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Debussy, or maybe even Schoenberg or Scriabin. But what do you hear when you see this colour? Anything? For the artist, for Vasily Kandinsky, this colour sounded like loud, sharp trumpets. He had what's called synesthesia, a condition where people experience the activation of one sense as the result of experiencing another. For Kandinsky, this meant that when he heard sounds, he saw colour. And when he saw colour, he heard music. What does music look like? Try for a second to imagine in your head what music would look like if you could see it. Vasily was born in 1866 to a very well-to-do family. They lived in Moscow, in Russia. As a child, he learned to play the cello and the piano. But his passion was art and drawing. However, his parents didn't approve and persuaded him to study law. He became a professor in law and economics at the university, but it didn't make him very happy. So at the age of 30, he decided to quit his job and apply for art school. But he gave it all up to become an artist after seeing some of Claude Monet's impressionist paintings and attending a symphony in 1896. There was lots of discussion on how art should develop and Kandinsky became important in the theory of colour, what colour means and how it makes people feel. This was a time of expressionism. Vasily Kandinsky was an artist who lived a long time ago in Russia. He didn't become an artist right away, though. First, he became a lawyer and a teacher, but he had two experiences that made him fall in love with art. One was seeing an exhibition of Claude Monet's art. Then, in 1896, everything changed as Kandinsky turned his back on what was then a, a successful young career as a lawyer, working with peasant law, the laws of wages of laborers, and decided instead to become a painter full time. Kandinsky believed that the more abstract the form, the more clear and direct its appeal. And he felt that music was the pinnacle of abstraction. He wrote the following. Music has been the art which has devoted itself not to the reproduction of natural phenomena, but rather to the expression of the artist's soul. He saw one of Monet's paintings of haystacks, but he couldn't tell what it was at first. Even though he didn't know what it was, he loved it. He loved the colors and he was amazed that a painting could be so memorable even when he didn't know what it represented. The other experience that made him want to become an artist was when he went to an opera and the music made him see colors and lines. He argued that art was about feelings and color can express mood. He was one of the first artists that moved away from representational pictures to using shapes, colors, strokes and patterns. Kandinsky often used music in his artwork. He can hear colors and see sounds. This is called synesthesia. Vasily probably had a condition that we now call synesthesia. When someone has synesthesia, it means their senses can kind of get mixed up. One sense can activate another sense. So seeing a shape or a letter might make someone think of a taste or a smell. For Kandinsky, 
Colors made him hear sounds, and sounds made him see colors. Kandinsky's synesthesia allowed him to see sound. He saw colors when he heard music. Different notes and different instruments looked like different colors to him. Many of his paintings are named after colors and pieces of music. Music is inherently abstract, and this is what Kandinsky was aiming for in art. He wanted his paintings to be an expression of an inner need, an expression of his soul. The word klänge translates to sounds. It's a term that meant an awful lot more for Kandinsky than it might do for us. From a very early age, Kandinsky was a hugely sensory person. He is thought to have probably um, had a condition which we know as today as synesthesia. It's a, a neurological condition in which the senses cross-communicate. In Kandinsky's case, this meant that he would see colour when he heard sounds and vice versa. He said that each colour sounded like a different musical instrument. For example, he said light blue sounded like a flute and green sounded like a violin. White was a pause. I saw all my colours in spirit before my eyes. Wild, almost crazy lines were sketched in front of me. Kandinsky's monumentally successful art guide, Concerning the Spiritual in Art, was published in 1912. He argued throughout the book that only art could allow us to reach truths beyond the reach of scientific research. Moreover, he believed it was the artist's role to open up these channels of communication for others to experience. Over the next few years, he moved to Munich to study, travelled extensively, was exposed to symbolism, neo-impressionism, fauvism and cubism, read and absorbed the principles of theosophy and began experimenting with colour and form. Kandinsky declared that these spiritual awakenings could be most accurately expressed through the spontaneous application of colours, shapes, lines and forms. It was this school of thought that led Kandinsky towards what he saw as the higher realms of abstraction. He viewed himself as a prophet whose mission was to share this ideal with the world for the betterment of society. Synesthesia blessed and burdened Kandinsky with a, a hugely powerful visual memory. He had almost photographic memory and scenes and dreams from his childhood would, would burn and fix themselves in his mind. He remembered seeing trees where the bark had been stripped, leaving the white flesh uh, revealed underneath. And the smell, the perfume of the wood, this feeling that he could almost taste on the tip of his tongue the colours that were before him. One of the things Kandinsky loved about music was that if music doesn't have words, you get to imagine what the music is about. You don't have to know what the musician was thinking for music to make you feel feelings or for music to remind you of other things. Kandinsky wanted to make paintings that were that way as well. So he made abstract paintings. Abstract paintings don't look the way things look like in real life. But even though you can't tell what the artist was thinking about, you can imagine for yourself what the painting is about. You can look for a story in the shapes, emotions in the lines, and even sounds in the colors. Even in an abstract painting, you might spot things that you recognize. Kandinsky viewed music as the most transcendent form of non-objective art. Musicians, he said, could evoke images in listeners' minds, merely with sounds. He tried to produce similar object-free and spiritually rich paintings that alluded to sounds and emotions through a unity of sensation. For Kandinsky, every color had a feeling, a sensation, and a sound. 
Green is the most restful colour that exists. In music, the absolute green is represented by the placid middle notes of a violin. White has the harmony of silence, which works upon us negatively, like many pauses in music that break the melody. A total dead silence has the inner harmony of black. In music, it is represented by one of those profound and final pauses, after which any continuation of the melody seems the dawn of another world. Black is the colour of least harmony at all. One day, returning to his studio, he saw there in the corner an image that transfixed him with its beauty. It took him a while to understand what it was that he was seeing. It was a painting that he had made turned on its side. It had been unrecognisable. He had not recognised the, the shapes, the objects, the landscape that he'd painted. And in that single moment, it was revealed to Kandinsky that if he wanted to get to the inner spirit of things, to the heart of what is out there, he had to forego obstacles, he had to forego objects in his art and start his move towards the abstract. Kandinsky painted many pictures inspired by music. This painting was inspired by a concert Kandinsky went to. The black shape is the piano and the circles are the audience. Some of his paintings remind me of loud, fast music racing across the canvas. And some paintings remind me of slow music just floating by. Light warm red is the sound of trumpets, strong, harsh and ringing. Cool red, madder, is the sad middle tones of a cello. Orange's note is that of an angelus or of an old violin. Violet is an English horn or the deep notes of a wood instrument such as the bassoon. And blue, blue is the heavenly colour. A light blue is like a flute, a darker blue a cello. Darker is a thunderous double bass and the darkest blue of all, an organ. Kandinsky wanted to find a means of communication that was universal through perception of colour. Colour is the keyboard, the eyes are the hammers, the soul is the piano with many strings. The artist is the hand which plays, touching one key or another to cause vibrations in the soul. experimenting with ways to sonify Kandinsky paintings. Can you tell us a bit about how you're doing that? Yeah, there's actually a whole range of different approaches that you can use, it turns out. And I'm not the first person to uh, ask this. There's actually whole websites now dedicated to developing online tools that you can use to sonify Kandinsky's paintings. And there's also an example of somebody who's done an interactive sound installation. So it's like a copy of one of Kandinsky's paintings with all the different objects on it. And as you touch the objects, they all make a different sound. So I thought I'd have a go myself. There's various software tools that have been designed that you can use to convert any image into sound. So I thought I'd try that with a few of his paintings. So 
In particular, I've done it with uh, his compositions, which is some of his, what he's thought of as, I think, as almost his symphonies of art, some of his major pieces. So I've done each of his 10 compositions using a software tool called Metasynth. And the results sound like this. Der Strick ging nach unten und der Vorhang ging nach oben. Auf diesen Augenblick haben wir alle schon so lange gewartet. Der Vorhang hing, der Vorhang hing, der Vorhang hing. Er hing noch unten, jetzt ist er oben. Als er nach oben ging, zu gehen anfing, haben wir uns alle so sehr gefreut. Kandinsky's own groundbreaking works that he dedicated 19 years of his life to, 10 paintings, entitled, appropriately, Composition 1 to 10. Kandinsky viewed his compositions as the most important works in his output, and in making these paintings, he set out to achieve his most important goal, to reach the level of abstraction that he experienced when he heard music. yellow sand walked a little thin red man. From time to time he said, water, blue water, and didn't understand himself why he said it. What if you could hear color? The pioneer of abstract art, Vasily Koninsky, heard sound in color and shapes. And now the thunder rolls in the sky. Who led you in deeper? In the dark, 
deep, quiet water. The tops of the trees point down. Always. Always. Play Kaninsky is an exploration of Kaninsky's synesthesia. In collaboration with Google Arts and Culture, we use machine learning uh, to imagine what yellow, red, blue uh, would have sounded like to the ears of the artist when he painted it in 1925. The first step in playing at Kaninsky is to learn about Kaninsky's synesthesia and how he heard sounds stimulated by colors and shape. What was like the relation with shape, with color, and also the emotion Kaninsky wanted to translate through his painting? The scars that mend, colors that blend. Second step in the experience is to explore how each color, each shape, each point, each plane for Koninsky were synonym with uh, specific emotions. The third step, once you've um, introduced your own emotions into the painting, the machine uh, will generate a score which you'll be able to share. We trained Google Transformer Neural Network that was developed by the Google Magenta team on music from Kaninsky's time and invited this machine to generate new scores to form a new perspective on what the painting may sound like from today's point of view. black mountain reached all the way up to the sky. Its silver tip was barely visible. To the right of this mountain stood a tree, which was very thick and had a very thick green crown. This crown was so thick that it was impossible to separate one leaf from another. To the left, on just one spot, but very close together, grew tiny white blossoms that looked like flat little plates. Other than that, there was nothing there. What was he trying to make us feel with this painting?
of the landmark events of early 20th century art, Vasily Kandinsky's discovery of abstraction must rank among the most exciting and the most significant. We used machine learning first as, a, as an archaeological tool. Uh, the initial idea was to dive into Kandinsky's music collection and try and generate new perspectives on the music he may have uh, heard at the time. like to know why it's like this and not different. It could be different. Very, very different. Klenger was the milestone in Kandinsky's search for abstraction and it was to become his magnum opus in print. But it could be argued that Kandinsky's next work in the series Composition 8 was the closest he ever got to music in art. It's constructed around a number of geometric forms, circles, semicircles, open-ended acute angles, squares and rectangles, some coloured, some taking on the off-white colour of the background. Colours on this canvas combine like musical chords, consonant and dissonant harmonies are heard simultaneously, one followed by another without resolution. On top of this, Lines and shapes create forms and melodies that run and bleed into each other, creating long, drawn-out motifs. Viewing Composition 8 is like listening to a piece of music in the blink of an eye, with the harmonies and rhythms all being played at the same time. who could say to the man, Faster! Go faster! 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 But he's not there. Or is he? Kandinsky was 46 years old when Klenger was published. He had come to art late in his life. It was not his intended first profession.
Tversky's style again shifted, and he experimented with biomorphic forms, which were more organic than the harsh geometric shapes of his Bauhaus paintings. In 1936 and 1939 he painted his two last major compositions. Composition 9 has highly contrasted, powerful diagonals, whose central form gives the impression of an embryo in the womb. Small squares of color, and colored bands, stand out against the black background of Composition 10, like star fragments. Hieroglyphics with pastel tones, cover a large maroon mass, which seems to float in the upper left corner of the canvas. This monumental painting relies upon a black background to heighten the visual impact of the brightly colored, undulating forms in the foreground. The presence of the black expanse is significant, as Kandinsky only used the color sparingly. It is evocative of the cosmos, as well as the darkness at the end of life. Last in his lifelong series of compositions, this work is the culmination of Kandinsky's investigation into the purity of form, and expression through non-representational painting. Every autumn, the trees lose their leaves, their dress, their jewels, their body, their crown. Every autumn. And how many to go? How many autumns to go? Eternity? Or, or no? Or... Klenger was hugely important in Kandinsky's output, one of the great leaved artistes of the early 20th century. 
It combined uh, a number of woodcuts with eccentric prose poems. The poems he had written between 1910 and 1911, but the woodcuts went back as early as 1907. It was a, a work that was long in gestation before its eventual publication in 1912. grow and smell smell they always smell don't they ever stop smelling or do they Klinger was to be central to that trailblazing leap into the abstract it was a work that combined visual and verbal abstraction what Kandinsky did with the words in his poems juxtaposing them nonsensically, repeating them so that the sounds became almost like pure noise, scattering them with anarchic punctuation. This was what he was doing in the woodcuts, finding repeated marks, abstracted motifs, turning the landscapes, the visual world around him into a, a mixture of, of symbols, shapes, of form and of content. The bell tries to knock holes in the air and can't do it. It is always caught. In Klenger and Kandinsky's search for abstraction, he was not trying to escape life, to escape the natural world around him, but rather to find a new and bold way of expressing it. He believed that hidden within the material world, under the surface of all things, there was an inner spirit and that it was the artist's job by going beyond straightforward representation to find that spirit. The old blue sky is caught hopelessly between branches and leaves. Sound hangs hopelessly in the sky like a spoon in thick dough. Feet stick to the grass, and the grass wants to pierce the invisible with its blades.
a fish went deeper and deeper into the water. It was silver, the water blue. I followed it with my eyes. The fish went deeper and deeper, but I could still see it. I couldn't see it anymore. I could still see it when I couldn't see it. Yes, yes, I saw the fish. Yes, yes, I saw it. 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 Well, we're sat in our kitchen where, Lynn, you have just done a fabulous performance of one of Kandinsky's pictures. So we've treated it, or you've treated it, like a graphic score. And we've chosen a piece, well, a picture. Uh, I think it's called Succession, isn't it? It's called Succession, yes. And it's quite unusual for him because, it, to me, it really looks like a musical score. You've got a sequence of parallel lines looking very much like this, a musical stave. And then do you want to try and describe... Um, I mean, you spent a long time looking at this. Do you want to try and describe what the rest of the picture is like? It's got... Um, I'm not quite sure how you describe them. Organic life forms, I think, is probably the best thing. They are discreet. They are self-contained. They're quite colourful. There's a big range of colours going on here. There's greens and blues and pinks and reds and oranges... And there are maybe 18 or 20 sort of motifs, if you like. They're laid out quite neatly along these, between these parallel grey lines. Um, and these beautiful series of colours, aren't they? Um, oh, they're gorgeous. In it's all, all sorts of combinations. Yeah, and some of them are wiggly and some of them are blocky and some of them are thin like sort of wiggly worms or something and some of them are fat there's one that looks a bit like a balloon animal with a red nose and now I've seen that yeah, they can't unsee <laughs> they are a bit balloon they animals balloon if you animals. think sort of Jeff Coons but in two dimensions and not shiny it's that it's that sort of shape and this organic shape well they're often called biomorphs is, aren't they? They, he does he did call them biomorphs yes so they're arranged in this sort of linear sequence with these lines so it really does like it as you said, like a sequence yeah. of musical are, motifs almost. 
there are dots and dashes and lines um, in between them. There's the occasional sort of block that's very geometric, but mostly they're, they are biomorphs. They're very organic. They look as though they're alive. They've been laid out under a microscope or something, and there's all these little bubbles and bits floating, floating about. about going but they're on. clearly in some form of sequence. So yes. that really lends itself to a sort of musical interpretation so you've been treating it as a graphic score yep and uh you've been playing and i'd love you to describe what you've been playing on because this is a muse an instrument of your own invention is it not so it started as one of those rotating racks that you would hang normal people would hang jewelry on you know necklaces or something to stop them getting tangled so it's got a rotating top bit and I've hung on it, instead of necklaces, uh, strings of things that make noises, but not just any noises. It has to be interesting ultrasonically because what we've been using to realise it with is a bat detector, which is completely brilliant. So it's picking up the frequencies that are too high for your ear to hear. So if I just play it, it makes various sort of tinkling noises there's some little brass bells here there's some glass shapes bits of old jewelry with chains some old plastic key rings shower curtain rings keys there's a string of bits of old clay pipes but what's amazing is that you've chosen these objects because they all make a sound in an ultrasonic range, yeah, so they a, do. A, a frequency range we wouldn't normally be able to hear. Yeah. But because it's a bat detector, it is designed to take these ultrasonic signals and convert them into something that we can hear. It's a genuine ultrasonic instrument. It is. And I've never seen one of those. No. I think we have to pay tribute to Sarah Washington here, the radio artist who we met recently, who uses bat detectors in her performance work. But it was your idea to then actually construct an instrument you went all around the house didn't you looking for oh it was so exciting going around the house and thinking well does this make a noise that's going to be ultrasonically interesting in some way so wind chimes are good little bells um things made of glass my absolutely best thing is these glass leaves which were handmade by a lovely lady called emma ralph who lives in sussex who makes beads and I used to buy her beads and her leaves for making jewellery. She was most amused that these were going to be part of an ultrasonic instrument. Yeah, they work beautifully. But just, as just a noise, they're not that interesting. But in, in an ultrasonic context, they are absolutely fantastic. Well, I just love the idea of using an ultrasonic instrument to, if you like, interpret Kandinsky's work. Yeah, because that, picture is, that picture is effectively, it's making sounds that you, that you can't hear. So yeah. it's quite fun to have a go at at realising a particular way that it might sound.
Ein Fisch ging immer tiefer ins Wasser. Er war silbern, das Wasser blau. Ich verfolgte ihn mit den Augen. Der Fisch ging immer tiefer. Ich sah ihn aber noch. Ich sah ihn nicht mehr. Ich sah ihn noch, wenn ich ihn nicht sehen konnte. Doch, doch, ich sah den Fisch. Doch, doch, ich sah ihn. 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 So we both had a read of his amazing book, Klenge, or Sounds, and you've actually had a go at reading the poems because there's a load of text poems or, um, is that how you describe them? I think it's poetry, isn't it? There's a load of text within his book that you can certainly read as poetry, and you've had a go at performing these and reciting these. How did you find that? What, what did you take from performing Kandinsky's Klenge? Well, it was an interesting challenge, um, First of all, because most of the text I used had been translated from the original German into English. So the sounds of the words are different. But you still get very much a sense that he's trying to do with the sounds of the words and also the meanings of the words. The same thing that he was trying to do with colours and make these abstract compositions out of them. There's a lot of colour in them, a lot of colours are described. He made up his own words to describe very particular colours, so he obviously saw it in his head, um, and he's trying to express these images as poetry um, in the form of words. And it was clearly... It was an experiment for him. He obviously has a lot of, a lot of fun with this. There's one or two that are really quite funny... And there's a lot of play on words and the sounds of words. And he's used a lot of repetition. He was interested in the effect that you get if you repeat a word or a phrase over and over again. Eventually you lose the intrinsic meaning and you get much more hung up just on the sound of the word. So it becomes a sort of meaningless phrase. So it becomes, it's becomes very Dada, doesn't it? I mean, he oh, was, it does. his poems are quite popular amongst the Dada artists at the working at the same time. And you can see how this would work as a, as a performance poetry, if you like, like the, the Dada artists used to do. But I must say, I don't know how you felt when I first read them. They're quite weird, aren't they? They are profoundly weird. And a lot of them are really, for all there's a lot of colour in them, they're also quite, quite dark. There's a lot of quite sort of disturbing and rather surreal imagery. It's a bit like... I see them as coming from the same sort of place as Grimm's fairy tales. There's a lot of people going into the forest and there are these weird landscapes and peculiar things happen. I mean, there are also a lot of... There are moments of humour, there are moments of just pure magic and this very um, interesting description of landscapes and colours and shapes. And he's obviously wrestling with this sort of problem of how to how to get the image out of his head and onto paper, but he's not using a paintbrush, he's using words. Face. Far. Cloud. 
eyes, 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 eyes look out from afar. The cloud rises. The face afar. The cloud. The sword. The rope. Then, did you feel it was successful? I mean, I don't know how he felt Not about it. Not entirely. Some of it works better than others. I mean, obviously, again, as I said, you've got the. Um, the problem is a lot of it's been translated, so some of the more playful sort of wordplay bits just don't don't work yeah, in work translation. In German, they work they? better in the German. But I, the overall, it's not an experiment that he really repeated. So I kind of feel if he'd felt that it worked as well as his painting clearly worked, he would have gone back to it and done it again. But it's like he'd done it and he thought, yeah, I've made this art book, and it is. It's an important and very seminal art book and it's still very highly regarded yeah one of the first i think yeah books yeah but it clearly this this wasn't an avenue that he really wanted to pursue and maybe he was just finding so much richness and and playful possibility in his paintings and all his very detailed studies of color and shape and and their relationship to music yeah and that was obviously a more sort of fruitful line of inquiry yeah. for him than working with words. It it, uh, it yeah. clearly didn't work it's an entirely. Yeah. yeah, it's not an entirely successful experiment. A dry, naked tree stretched its quaking and quivering long branches into the deep sky. It was very black, like a hole in white paper. Its four little leaves quivered for a long time, but there was no sign of wind. And and you can think of it also as another way of sonifying his paintings. It is in a way, isn't it? Yeah. He was looking for this sort of holistic approach to art that integrated sound and or music and, and visual art together, and this was one of his ways of Exploring that, I think. Yeah, because the book has pictures. It has these really quite abstract um, woodcut prints that um, I guess they complement the text. They have a very similar sort of mood to the to the text. So he was trying to kind of bring it all together. A mass of hills of all the colours you can imagine or want to imagine all different sizes but the shapes are always alike just plain ordinary hills like the kind you always imagine and never see but i think it's also about encouraging us to listen as well to look isn't it because you really did see the visual and the audible as sort of integrated or two sides of the same coin and i think his book Klenger is all about listening as well as looking isn't it so I think that's what I partly took from it and also the way that so much of his work is is still playful and optimistic and hopeful he was still clearly finding a lot to enjoy in it even when the circumstances of of his life and the historical events unfolding around him were really quite 
dark and worrying, you still get these blue skies and these playful shapes and these little bits of hope, and I think that's a really important thing to take away. In the wide meadow grew a flower. The flower was blue. There was only one flower in the wide meadow. Yes, yes, yes. It was there. suddenly collapsed. Small houses remained standing. A fat, hard, egg-shaped orange cloud suddenly hung over the town. Before the new moon's horn, a star, a tall, thin, black house, three lighted windows, three windows. Auf der breiten Wiese wuchs eine Blume. Die Blume war blau. Es war nur eine Blume auf der breiten Wiese. Doch, 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 sie war da. up, got up and fell. Sharp, thin, 
whistled and shoved, but didn't get through. From every corner came a humming. Within, the bluish wavelet tosses the torn and shredded scarlet cloth. Scarlet tatters, deep blue wavelets, the ancient book whose place is lost. Looking silent in the distance, dark confusion in the wood, deeper grow the deep blue wavelets. Scarlet cloth sinks down for good. Im gelben Sand ging eine kleine, dünne, rote Mann. Er rutschte immer aus. Es schien, dass er auf Glatteis geht. Von Zeit zu Zeit sagte er, Wasser, blaues Wasser, und verstand selbst nicht, warum er das sagte. The woods grew deeper and deeper, the red trunks bigger and bigger, the green crowns heavier and heavier, the air darker and darker, the bushes lusher and lusher, the mushrooms thicker and thicker, until there was nothing but mushrooms to walk on.
bench is blue, but it's not always there. And suddenly, again, everything was still. The orange cloud disappeared. The sky turned piercing blue. The town, yellow enough to make you cry. The end.